and welcome everybody to Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 24 for August 2011. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And this month, we get to interview Ron Mars, which is awesome. Yeah. Ron will be writing Voodoo for this upcoming September launch of the 52 new number ones. So we're really excited to hear from him. And we hope that you enjoy it and get some insight into what Voodoo will become. It, it should be pretty interesting, and we hope that you guys enjoy it. Take a listen. We do want to thank you for uh, taking time to, to do this interview with us. Obviously, we are very excited that you're going to be bringing back one of our uh, favorite Wildstorm characters, Voodoo, you know, this September. You know, Ron, obviously, you know, you've done some great things for the industry. You know, you've, you, you gave us Cal Rayner, you know, you did the cross-gen thing. I mean, you basically injected new life into the Top Cow universe, you know, but uh, I don't... I, I know I personally, you know, don't know where did it all begin for you. How did you get your start in the industry? Uh, I actually sort of got led by the hand into the business by Jim Starlin, uh, who I was friends with uh, before I ever, you know, I ever wrote comics at all, because we happened to live in the same area and, you know, ended up at the same parties and just kind of got to be friendly and. Uh, Jim eventually uh, suggested, hey, you, you know, did you ever think about writing comics as a way to uh, put food on the table? Um, and at the time, I was working as a journalist. I was working as a sports writer. Uh, and then after that, a, a, an editor in the entertainment section. Um, so I had always been writing. It just what didn't happen to be comics. Uh, so uh, Jim is really the one that... Uh, uh, took me into Marvel, showed me around, co-wrote some stuff with me, and then, uh, you know, kind of threw me into the deep end of the pool uh, on Silver Surfer, which was my first monthly assignment. Cool. Ron, because you've been in the business so long, um, many people look towards you as their influence, but who are some of your influences as a writer? Um, well, certainly in comics, I think Starlin is probably uh, right up there because he's really the guy that showed me the ropes. and. Uh, very much uh, gave me the crash course in writing comics, and in particular, writing comics visually, uh, which I think is kind of a, um, you know, it's it's something of a learned skill. But I think a lot of uh, a lot of writers aren't terribly visual in the scripts that they give to the artists, um, and I think that's more of a you know, because we're getting a lot of writers that come from a screenwriting background or even a prose background, uh, there's a uh, there's a lack of visual writing in comics right now. Um, you know, it's a lot of people standing around talking, uh, and you know, frankly, if you know, if you want a lot of people standing around talking, you can go see a one act play for free somewhere. <laughs> uh, I'd rather you know, I'd rather have stuff blow up and have something visually exciting going on. Yes, so we hardly agree. Is, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim is is principally the guy that that showed me the ropes and and um, that I learned a good deal of the craft from. Uh, in terms of other writers, you know, I really kind of came of age in terms of reading comics in the '80s. So my touchstones are Alan Moore and Frank Miller, who really uh, yanked the you know yanked the business into. Uh, the modern age in the mid '80s, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, also a lot of guys that uh, that don't write books with pictures in them. 
Stephen King, Charles Dickens, you know, Robert E. Howard, Tolkien. You know, I in my in my youth, I probably read more uh, more novels than I did comics. So uh, a lot of my background comes from uh, comes from prose. Awesome. Ron, what made you decide to take on Voodoo? Is she a favorite character? I know that you've um, you've worked in the Wildstorm universe in the past, so um, I'm wondering what that was that, that stood out. It seems um, actually last year at the New York Comic Con, you know, I had talked to Jim Lee and I asked him, you know, what was going to happen to Wildstorm since it was closing down as an imprint, and he said, you know, hold on to my pants, I'll be, you know. <laughs> You know, they'll, they'll be coming back eventually. And, and it seems that he may have protected some of his favorite characters that he created. So I'm just wondering why you chose to take on Voodoo. Um, well, I mean, why I chose to take on Voodoo was, is pretty simple. I mean, I got a call uh, literally uh, on a Friday afternoon saying, hey, we, you know, we have this book. Do you want to write it? Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of well known at this point that I was one of the later writers brought into the to the whole relaunch from that standpoint i was you know i like the character i like the fact that it's a character that doesn't have any pre-existing baggage in terms of of uh having to stick terribly close to any previous continuity or you know this is this is very much a relaunch where um we're trying to start fresh and trying to give readers a ground floor so that was appealing to me uh and just the fact that that uh, just the, just the fact of being involved in the DC relaunch I, I found to be really exciting because i think it's a uh you know i think it's a bold step forward for what we're doing as an industry um and i think the you know the hardcore fans tend to concentrate on the you know the in-universe aspects. You know what? How is you know whose costume changed? Whose history applies or doesn't apply? You know who uh, who's you know who's in the Justice League? Who's who's in Stormwatch? Um, the faithful readers concentrate on that kind of stuff. I think the 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 readers outside that sphere are going to be a lot more affected by the fact that these books are going to be available the same day digitally as they are on the stands. Um, to me, that's ultimately where the future of the industry is going to go, um, at least in terms of single issues. I think digital is a lot more viable uh, delivery mechanism than single-issue comics. It's certainly more viable economically. Uh, and to get a chance to be a part of that was, was really exciting to me. I think this is a this is a step forward for the for the industry as a whole. Um, now, hopefully, the rest of the industry comes along with it, and uh, we we grow the audience and get people interested in comics that either haven't been interested in comics before because the material is going to be more accessible now, or uh, at the very least, pull back in some lapsed fans who, for one reason or another. Uh, Got off the uh, got off the every Wednesday comic train, and haven't been paying attention. So, so all of that played a factor into it. And then, honestly, the other the other aspect was the artist that was already assigned to the book uh, is Sammy Bossery, who I had w- actually worked with on some Witchblade issues, and whose work I'm a fan of, and was very enthusiastic about working with again, and. Um, you know, frankly, the 
the stuff that I did with him on Witchblade and the stuff that he did uh, on Power Girl for the last year, uh, frankly, pales in comparison to what he's doing now. I'm just, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm stunned at what the work looks like now because that makes it seem like he wasn't very good before. Uh, he was pretty damn good before, but the level of work that he's doing now, to me, is just spectacular. Uh, and the fact that he can do it on a monthly basis, as he proved on uh, on Power Girl, uh, to me is you know is a big deal. I think having somebody turn out quality work every month is is a real feather. Is going to be a real feather in the in the cap of the book. Awesome. Um, I do have a, a little follow-up question to that. Um, as far as it goes with the, the pricing, um, and maybe this is just something since I, I didn't get to go to San Diego and, and maybe I just didn't catch it on any of the blogs, but um, is the idea that, you know, as far as from the retailer's perspective, because, you know, my local owner, you know, he's definitely voiced his opinion via Twitter on what DC is doing on the retail side. Is that something that they're going to do polybagged um, and the newsstand edition is forever? Like, how long will those polybags sit on the shelf alongside of just the newsstand editions? You know, I I have no idea. I, I mean, I'm not uh, plugged into that side of it. I think a lot of it is mostly the, um, the Justice League launch, which is going to be obviously a pretty big deal with, with Jeff and Jim working on it. Um, but you know, as far as the as the business plan going forward, I you know I certainly understand the brick and mortar retailers being um, being leery and even being upset. This is you know this is uh, fairly uh, large impact into what they do, or at least it can be a fairly large impact into what they do. And I think DC is really going out of its way to try to include the local comic shops in this relaunch and in uh, the business plan going forward. It's a really interesting time in the business right now because we're on this, we're on the cusp of kind of deciding where, you know, where the delivery mechanism goes. Does, you know, do we, are we going to have that every Wednesday component, you know, 20 years from now along with digital or does that eventually go away? I don't think anybody really knows the answer, but I, I think it's obvious that the, the digital component is going to is going to be a increasingly large aspect of how people get their comics. You know, I don't think anybody really has the answers. Uh, I admire DC for striking out on this path mm-hmm. and trying to bring readers back into the fold uh, through the digital outreach. Uh, and I also admire them for not just kicking the, the the retailers to the curb and saying, well, you know. Thanks for 30 years, guys, but, uh, you know, we're dating somebody new now. Uh, It's a a balancing act, and, you know, not everything is going to be perfect. Not everything is going to please everybody, but uh, I think it's an important step for comics to be a little bit less of a niche entertainment medium and try to become a little bit more mass media. Thank you for the political uh, answer to that that question. well, I, you know, it's 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 really, you know, I, I guess it is a political answer, but I I just don't think anybody knows. I mean, that's that's the honest truth is we don't know how this is going to go, you know, and certainly, certainly there there could be. I know a lot of people who who want their digital stuff uh, right now are upset that the digital prices are going to be two ninety nine for the first month, and then the single issues will go down to one ninety nine. Well, 
obviously having the books at two ninety nine for the first month is offering some protection to the brick and mortar retailers and not undercutting them with the initial releases. So it's you know, there's there are just so many factors here and I don't think you can ever really please anybody uh, or please everybody all at the same time. But I think DC is trying to kind of work its work its way through this uh, because nobody has really done this before at this scale. Um, so it, they're, they're very much kind of picking out the path uh, for themselves rather than following some pre-described course. So, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's exciting and it's scary at the same time. No, no, I agree. Um, there is no precedence ahead of what, what DC is doing. You know, I can't speak for, you know, all comic readers out there as a whole, but there are a lot of people that still like the nostalgia of flipping through a book and, you know, the smell of the ink on the paper and oh, sure. collecting each and, and, and every one of those. But also, I think a good portion of those readers that enjoy that nostalgia don't really care and will easily read something on the screen just as much as they will go into their retailer and buy it. It seems like they're straddling a good good line for now to see where it goes from here. You know, I think a part of it is you just have to put it out there and see how the audience reacts and, and let the audience kind of make up its mind. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I see more and more people, especially on Twitter, saying, man, I, you know, I got to go digital. I can't. I don't have any room for these things anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, when I think that's, a, you know, that's, an honest, uh, that's an honest appraisal, too. Uh, I mean, I say as a guy who's got, you know, probably six feet of trade paperbacks sitting on the floor of my office right now stacked up because I'm, I'm out of shelf space. That's true. Uh, so, you know, me personally, you know, I, I, I would rather have, I, I'm not a single issue guy. I don't have time to read the single issues. I don't have time to go to the store to read, to, you know, to get them every week. So most of what I read is in trades. So, you know, I can, I can understand, I think, for me, if if you know, if I was just a reader and uh, approaching this this new horizon, I would probably be the guy uh, reading stuff digitally, and then the stuff that I really liked, I would go out and get the you know the hardcover, nice you know nice collection of it if I really liked it. You know, I'd be I uh, you know I'm the guy that goes out and buys the you know the Hellboy Library editions despite the fact that I've got all of the trade paperbacks sitting on the shelves. Right. Uh, so if it's, I, I think that will be, a, there will always be a market for the really nice uh, reprints of, of digital stuff. Uh, at least I hope so, because that's what's on my shelves, you know. I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of absolute editions I want to have. You know, the comic industry obviously has to make some drastic changes, like you said. I mean, it's just like what... Uh what happened with Borders, you know, why they're dying out. And, you know, I've got friends in the video game industry say the same thing, you know, instead of putting a, a disc on a shelf, you know, they're going to start going more digital. So it's just something they're going to have to push ahead with, obviously. But, yeah, hey, at least we still got these characters, right? They've, they've survived through a lot worse. <laughs> through 70-plus 70, 70 yeah, years I mean, worth of stuff. Ultimately so. the real, you know, that's ultimately the real backbone of the industry is the, is the characters. Uh, and, and the fact that, that the only limit to what you can put in a story or on the page is, is imagination. There's no real budgetary constraint like there is in a movie or a video game. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take that much more effort to draw an armada of spaceships versus, you know, two people sitting at a, uh, sitting at a coffee table uh, having a chat. It's ultimately all just um, 
you know, it's all just lines on paper uh, or uh, lines on a digital screen. So it's it's a, it's a really I don't know if it's a make or break time in the business, but it's a really important uh, uh, direction that's got to be figured out. And, you know, one thing that we found with the whole, you know, new technology and stuff is the way that uh, collaboration is done nowadays. You know, you might never even meet your artist or your writer that you're working with. That's one thing we've found in interviewing different people. So, like, for example, you know, with with the artists you're working with, um, you know, we've how much collaboration did you have, like, in person? A lot of it was it over email, you know, because some of the things we've seen, like, with the designs, you know, Voodoo doesn't seem to be re- redesigned very much as compared to, like, you know, Apollo Midnight over in Stormwatch. I mean, is that something you can discuss yet, why that is, why she didn't get touched as much as some of the other characters? Um, well, there, there are a few factors. I, the, the first part of the question is um, Sammy Basri is in Indonesia, so he's literally on the other side of the world for me. Uh, and um, so there's not, you know, there's not a lot of direct contact. We're not, you know, we're not going down to the bar on the corner for a beer. Uh, so, <laughs> isn't that part of the collaboration process, though? <laughs> if at all possible, yeah. Um, but you know, but frankly, more and more, that's the situation because of because of the leaps in technology. You're, you know, you're working with guys that are on the other side of the world and that maybe don't even speak the same language. Uh, but you can collaborate pretty closely with email and instant messages and, and everything that, that uh, facilitates that. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of weird because some of your, uh, some of my best friends, I should say, are guys that live in other countries and I never see. You know, Luke, Luke Ross that did Samurai with me is one of my best friends, and we saw each other again a couple months ago for the first time in like six years. So uh, it's it's a it's a different way of working than than comics has previously done. When you know when basically a lot of people that you know like even the 70s and even into the 80s, a lot of people that worked for Marvel and DC lived in the New York City area. You know, they would drop their pages off at the office or at least live within easy mailing distance. And then, you know, and then Federal Express made that not as not as much of a concern. You could live wherever you wanted. I mean, when Kirby moved to California in the 70s, he obviously wasn't dropping his pages off at, uh, uh, at the Marvel bullpen anymore. He was, he was shipping them in. Uh, and, you know, each step of technology has made it easier to collaborate. Um, you know, now most of the time the original art doesn't ever leave the studio of the people working on it. Uh, it's all just digital digital files, and uh, it's all being shipped around the world pretty instantly for inking or coloring or whatever whatever you happen to need. So specifically with Sammy, uh, we don't uh, we actually haven't talked all that much uh, except through. Uh, through intermediaries as we're, you know, as we're swapping notes back and forth. But uh, I, I think that the ability to collaborate if you need to and kick ideas back and forth is, is always really important in comics. And it, it really ends up being uh, whatever, whatever the process needs. Uh, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not in daily contact with Sammy, but like 
Lee Motor, who was drawing Shinku at Image with me, is one of my best buddies, and you know we talk or text or email virtually every day. The level of collaboration really depends on how that particular partnership works best. In terms of uh, Voodoo's design, we're not really approaching Voodoo as a superhero, so we didn't need to sit down and come up with a specific superhero costume for her. This is not a book that, you know, somebody has a secret identity and pulls their shirt open to expose their costume beneath. Uh, it's a little bit different kind of book. and Yeah, from the uh, so promo art we saw, she's exposing something else. So. <laughs> there, there is clothing being taken off, but it's not for the purposes of revealing your superhero costume underneath. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, and certainly, yeah, the first couple pages that have been out there show show that she's a stripper, or at least we think she's a stripper. That was obviously an aspect of the character in her previous incarnation, very, and, you know, and very much part of the, the background of the character in Wildcat. Moving forward even into the, uh, to the voodoo, the miniseries that Alan Moore wrote, so that was an aspect that, uh, that I felt like I wanted to keep at least for a while in the book. Without giving away too much, that working as an exotic dancer aspect might not be exactly what people are thinking it is. There's a reason for it that's part of the story, and that will be revealed as we go. You know, I think, I think this series is unapologetically sexy within the bounds of, uh, within the bounds of what we can show in a teen-rated book. That's something that Joe and I were concerned about. And, you know, as a Wildstorm fan, we're always concerned that our stuff is going to be watered down, especially when it gets integrated into DCU. And I think, I can't speak for DCU fans, but they're always worried that the Wildstorm, you know, characters are just going to come in and raise hell because that's what we know them as doing. They're unashamed with killing people. And where you see the DCU guys, they rarely kill people. But Voodoo being a stripper, you know, we were just wondering how that was going to fit. So thanks for uh, kind of shedding some light on it. I, I think it fits. And again, I don't want to give away a whole lot about what we're doing because this is, a, uh, this is uh, an espionage book in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think it's, I don't think it's giving away too much by saying that Voodoo is the spy. She is the, the espionage agent. Uh, we don't quite know who she's working for initially, and uh, the first couple issues will really flesh out, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> it's not exactly the same character that uh, appeared in uh, the Wildstorm universe. Uh, there will be some aspects to her that are new, uh, while we're definitely keeping a lot of the aspects from the previous incarnation of the character. And I think... That's what we're excited about because, you know, we had just spoken with Nathan last month. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that. Just to see that those these characters are, are being protected and that you guys are trying to spin them in a, in a new light in the DC universe is something that, that we're interested in really reading. Especially since their, their background and it seems to be that the Daemonites are going to play a decent role in that. That is something that's always been a part of Voodoo since you know she's she has that in her DNA <laughs> or did at one point. <laughs> or so you think? Um, yeah, it, it, it's actually a really cool opportunity. I, I felt and story-wise, because um, Voodoo is naturally going to be seen as an outsider. I, I'm 
speaking in terms of the readership. You know, because she wasn't a part of the DCU previously, she's going to be seen as something of an outsider. So I wanted to use that in the story and make Voodoo a point of view character for the readers as we explore what the DCU is now. Uh, so she is very much an outsider in terms of her experience with the DCU. And one of the kind of the driving factor in the book is that she's going to be going to different locations, interacting with different characters, uh, because that's what her mission is. Uh, like I said, she's, she's a spy. Spies don't sit around and, and wait to be attacked, you know, like the Avengers do. You know, they don't sit around Avengers Mansion waiting for uh, the Masters of Evil to show up and, and wreck the place. Uh, so Voodoo is very proactive in terms of seeking out and encountering other heroes in the DCU. So that's really what is going to drive the book forward. <clears throat> and hopefully, you know, I'm able to give a little bit different perspective on the DCU because we're looking at it from an outside uh, an outside venue or at least from an outsider's perspective. So we'll have a <clears throat> we'll have a fair amount of guest stars in the book as we go forward. Uh, but Voodoo will absolutely be front and center during the issues. It's not she's not going to end up becoming a guest star in her own book. Awesome. Yeah. So does that mean like you mentioned it several times, you know, the espionage thing and the fact that she's a spy. I mean does that mean that, I mean, obviously she was always part of an action-centered book with Wildcats, but even like you said earlier with Alan Merwin, I'm really action-oriented. So in that case, with this book, are we going to get a little, a little bit more character-driven, a little bit of action mixed in, too, because of the way you're taking her in a different direction? Well, I think if, you know, if you're only getting action in a book, or if you're only getting character stuff in a book, you're only getting half the meal anyway. It should be a a mix of both. I think you know books need to be a mix of both. They should be visual. They should be exciting. You know, they're comics. If it's just like I said, if it's just people sitting around talking, you can get that on any TV show. Uh, to me, there should be something visual and exciting going on, something that that pushes you through the story. Uh, the flip side of that coin is. If all you have is visuals and action and exciting stuff going on, but you don't have any characterization to make you care about the people that are doing those things, you know, it's kind of like a Michael Bay movie. You know, it's just stuff blowing up, but nobody really cares about what happens to the people. Uh, I think when a book succeeds, it's a combination of characterization to make you care about these people, these these characters should hopefully end up seeming like real people, not just uh, cardboard cutouts, so that when they do go through things that put them in danger, that put them uh, at risk, you genuinely feel something. Uh, and that is absolutely the way I'm approaching this book. Um, hopefully, as the book unfolds, Voodoo will be uh, somebody that is appealing to the readers, somebody that will that the readers will end up caring about, but I didn't exactly say that she's the good guy all the time either. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that's kind of expected, you know, with the with the Wallstrom characters, and you know, like we like we told Nathan about Grifter, it's like eventually we would love to see these characters become DCU staples, you know, just like you know Booster Gold and Blue Beetle used to not be that, and all of a sudden here they are, people know them, and hopefully, you know, people will 
catch on to these characters and obviously that you know voodoo is part of the darker titles hopefully that won't dissuade them i mean people still like characters like swamp thing and john constantine and things like that so they they do like darker characters so definitely excited to see how they uh how they take to your version of voodoo well i think that's one of the really kind of interesting aspects of this whole relaunch is that it's not 52 superhero books they're all taking place within the DCU, obviously, and that is a superhero-driven universe. But, you know, I have to give DC a lot of credit for starting to branch out into other genres and other types of stories rather than just, uh, you know, people who wear their underwear on the outside of their clothes. I think, obviously, the DCU was always going to be mostly driven by superheroes. That's what people want. That's what, you know, that's what they're going to get. I mean, and... And in this case, I think the, the big books that come out of this relaunch will be the ones everybody expects. You know, Batman, Superman, Justice League, Green Lantern. People want the comfort food, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the fact that there are some different genres being represented in this initial launch of books is a real, you know, is a really important step. There's, you know, there are war books, there's a Western, there are espionage books, there are horror books, there's supernatural stuff. Uh, I think, uh, and I, you know, I hope I'm right about this. I think that some of the books that will be overlooked on the uh, direct market side of things will be more embraced on the digital side of things, uh, because people who are reading these things digitally might not be uh, the hardcore comic fan. And I think, by and large, those people are going to be just as interested, or maybe even more interested in a war book or a spy book or a horror book than they are in, in a superhero book. So I love the fact that the buffet table that's been set up here uh, has 52 flavors on it, and they're not all the same flavor. Yeah, it, it's definitely eclectic, you can tell from the solicits. You know, I've already alluded to you know that you've had a good amount of Wildstorm history in your past. Is there any other Wildstorm characters that we'll be seeing coming into these books, or are there any Wildstorm characters that you'd love to write into them in the future? Some of the concepts, uh, some, let me put it this way, some things that have, have appeared in Wildstorm books will be in the Voodoo series. I can't tell you what specifically, uh, and as we move forward, there are some other characters that I'd like to bring in uh, here and there, uh, but not at the expense of showing DCU characters as well. I, I, I think one of the cool things is going to be having that mix and seeing how that all uh, that all shakes out. I think that'll uh, that should be of interest to uh, people who were uh, DCU faithful as well as Wildstar. Yeah, it would be cool to see you know which of our other characters show up that obviously didn't get books for at least you know, and who knows. Uh, hopefully the book goes on and on and on and we just keep doing it. But I think it's, you know, obviously, you know, Batman and Green Lantern are going to go on and on and on. That's, that's not even up for discussion. A lot of the books that are on the bottom half of uh, these 52 titles uh, are going to have to fight for their place, and hopefully we can, we can keep going. My goal is to make sure that we're building voodoo into as realistic and... Uh, and not necessarily a sympathetic character, but a character that readers want to come back every month and, and find out what happens to her. Um, she will 
she will be a character that uh, grows and evolves through the first year of the book, uh, which is which is a really nice uh, tool to have in your writer's toolbox because a lot of times when you come into a, a superhero situation, the characters are very much what they are. You know, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern—they they're static in that sense that they're that they're they're not going to grow and change too much because you're you're not going to you know you're not going to pull them away from their their uh, the core of who they are and what they do um, when we're dealing with characters that are a little bit more um, with a little bit newer to the DCU uh, there's a little bit more room to uh, to do some things in terms of character arcs and the evolution of the characters that you know voodoo I think will will certainly be uh, a different different person, a uh, different type of character by issue 12 than she was in issue 1. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be very interesting to see how you, how you play all that out. And, you know, one thing that we've experienced in, you know, going around the net and they've seen different people's reactions is obviously there's some people like us who are very excited about the book, but there's still some who are not. You know, they're already predicting its demise and whatnot. I mean, what would you say to them to, to get them to give this do book you, a try, Do you basically? mean that there are cynical fans on the internet? <laughs> I am shocked. Yeah, they're, they're hidden, though. You have to find them. Well, yeah, they're hidden in terms of actually using their real names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real easy to bitch when, you know, your, your screen handle is Batman's buddy, but when it's actually your real name, uh, people tend to uh, uh, be a little bit more polite, but that's that's a whole separate discussion. You know, look, this is, I think we're doing a really damn good book. Uh, in fact, I know we're doing a damn good book. I've been, I've been doing this long enough that, uh, that I think I have a pretty self-critical eye and not just for my own work, but for the work of everybody else on the team. And I think we're doing a, I think we're doing a pretty cool book. Uh, whether it, uh, whether it will move uh, the superhero faithful to take a chance on it. Yeah, I hope so. Um, like I said, it, we're going to have a bunch of guest stars in this book, uh, and we're going to have Voodoo interacting with a number of those uh, iconic superheroes. But it's always going to very much be Voodoo's story. Uh, so... If you want your superheroics, yeah, we're going to have that, but it's going to be seen through the lens of of our main character, who is uh, maybe a good guy, maybe a bad guy, depending on your perspective, and is very much the uh, you know the spy of our of our espionage book. Um, that's not to say that we're just going to be you know she's she's going to be sneaking around and uh, you know taking clandestine photographs of uh, you know. Superman changing into his costume in the janitor's closet. Uh, <laughs> stuff's going to blow up. Uh, this is a pretty action-driven book, uh, and it's it's likely going to be a. This is one of the edge books in terms of how they've been grouped, at least in terms in terms of the, the marketing. And this is absolutely an edge book. There are frankly things in issue one and issue two of Voodoo that I didn't think we'd actually be allowed to do. And uh, DC has been really supportive of, yeah, you know what, go ahead, go ahead, go for it. Uh, and to me, that's terrifically exciting. You know, I, you know we're not, 
again, we're not doing anything that's that's completely out of bounds for a teen-rated book. But um, like I said, it's you know it's a it's a sexy and hopefully clever story uh, that that does have you know some action and violence that goes with it, and we're not. Uh, we're not soft peddling those aspects. The sexy stuff is sexy, and the violent stuff is violent. Yeah, well, that's that's good to see that DC is is giving you you know enough rain to do that because, yeah, at least at least they didn't mandate that she be a ballet dancer like she was in the old Wildcats cartoon, you know. <laughs> um, no, ballet is not on the menu. Uh, you know, but uh, again, a, a part of it to me is. Uh, you know, I, I will I will admit to being a little concerned about you know those pages that were released being the first ones that people have seen uh, of the Voodoo book because you know there is always that uh, that segment of the online audience who sees a woman in anything other than a you know full length full length dress reaching to her ankles that just flips the hell out. Um, but, you know, hopefully people know my work well enough to know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, if, if somebody wants, you know, fan service TNA, they should probably hire somebody else because that's not really what I do. I mean, I've, that's what I told Top Cow when they are Witchblade is that I, you know, look, I got no, I got no idea frankly, even how to write uh, fan service, and I have no interest in it. If you want to do stories that are about her character, and we can cover her the hell up with uh, armor that actually makes sense rather than uh, a metal bikini, let's do that. Uh, so the, the voodoo book is very much with that same mindset, is that, yes, there's going to be sexy stuff. We're not going to shy away from it, but it's going to be there for a story reason. We're not going to, at least in my mind, uh, we're not going to pander. It's it's part of the story. I think it's the level of maturity of the writing more than anything that draws people than, you know, just purely TNA. And I guess it's it's a question of what constitutes a, a teen-rated book these days, because I think teens in general are just, you know, saturated with more sex and violence than any other generation has before them so yeah certainly um you know you don't uh, I, and i don't you know it's not like they hand you a specific list of guidelines of here's what you can do and here's what you can't do uh, i have a wife i have a 10 year old daughter as well as two sons you know it's not like i jump into this going oh man let's see how we can get get that chick's clothes off <laughs> you know if look if you want to see naked ladies there's this thing called the internet. Maybe you've heard of it. You know, if you're <laughs> just looking for looking at comics for purian interest, man, you're looking in the wrong spot. Uh, so, you know, my goal here is to tell a story that uh, to tell an espionage story, and sometimes there's going to be some sexy aspects to it, like there is in the James Bond, the James Bond movie or novel. Yeah, and people still you know, love I, James Bond. I, I tried to uh, I try to think of this as if James Bond did this, whatever specific thing I'm putting into the book, would anybody even bat an eye about it? And the answer so far has been no. Right. Uh, the answer so far has been, if this was a male character, nah, nobody would care. So that's how, I am, that's how I'm approaching the whole thing. I don't think that uh, having a strong, kick-ass female character uh, 
and having her be sexy are uh, mutually exclusive. Awesome. Thank you for your candidness. Um, well, we usually wrap this up with a, a loaded fun question. Um, Voodoo at the end of the Wildstorm universe uh, really, well, actually throughout her whole character's um, introduction in the Wildstorm, she's been a very magically driven and spiritually driven character. So this may line up well, it may not, who knows. Um, but Voodoo versus Zentana, who wins and why? Um, voodoo. Because I would think that. You know, <laughs> thank, thank you for I picking a winner. <laughs> well, what am I going to say? Uh, yeah, that character I don't write. Well, ultimately, I mean, if Voodoo and Zatanna bought, all Voodoo would need would be duct tape. <laughs> now you got to write that. <laughs> we want to see that in print form. Yeah, always she's always got duct tape in her bag. <laughs> that's awesome ron well you know we we know you're busy so we do thank you again for you know agreeing to do this and we definitely look forward to to the book coming out in september we're going to be pushing it you know on the old wallstorm fans as as much as we can we want to give them you know let them give it a try so but well thanks guys i really appreciate it i'm uh i'm really excited about uh the kind of stuff that we've been able to do in the book and and i think it's it's going to be a little bit out of the ordinary in terms of what people are used to in the DCU. So it's surprising even me. So if I'm surprised at what we've been able to do and the kind of stories we've been able to tell, uh, I think the audience will be as well. All right. Well, that was a really awesome interview with Ron Mars and we uh, hope you guys enjoyed it because that was, that was definitely worth, uh, worth going after. I mean, he was really awesome I mean, to talk to a guy who's been in the industry that long. I mean, that's just that's just amazing. We could have kept him on for hours, but obviously, you know, he's busy. So, just glad that he agreed to that. But uh, you know, we just wanted to kind of give you guys an update uh, of what uh, where to keep your eyes peeled for some of the other Wildstormer appearances that are coming out. So here in um, July, we had uh, Flashpoint number three. You know, obviously I had a cameo by Grifter, which led into Lois Lane the Resistance number two. Which, with the way that ends, it seems that he's going to be in number three. So definitely picking that up here Liddy one foot in the grave trade come out on the 20th of july and uh in september uh you know when once the launches start we think we finally clarified this but it's action comics number one the end of it should have a lead-in to stormwatch number one which they both come out on september the 7th and uh we also get a new edition of a god somewhere on the 14th of, of september we get grifter number one and then on the 28th, we get Voodoo number one. So be watching for our written reviews for that before we come back, you know, at the end of September and get you guys a podcast review of that stuff. Uh, if you guys would like to contact us, and we would appreciate it if you did, because uh, we'd like to continue the discussion of Wildstorm and DCU, you can contact Joe. He's on Twitter, twitter.com slash grifter78. Uh, you can look me up. I'm on the Wildstorm resource wiki, and I'm Yo-Yo Master 146 And you can reach either of us at twitter.com slash wildstormaddict, or you can email both of us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition, and we look forward to next month, where we may or may not get another interview. We'll see. <laughs> if not, we'll be ready to review issues number one. And actually, one more thing before you go, Ben. <laughs> what? One more thing? Yes, one more thing. 
if you want a place to discuss the Wallstorm relaunches, we recommend uh, that you, you know, offer links on our website. There is the link to the Higher Authority uh, that's run by, you know, Wallstorm superfan Chris Stryker. And uh, he has the message boards there, which, you know, it's a more concentrated group of Wildstorm fans. So if you just want to only talk the Wildstorm uh, characters, the, the DCU boards are okay, but they're a little crowded, it seems like. So, I mean, you can definitely discuss it there. But if you want a little bit more personal experience, just uh, head on over to, to Clark's Bar as part of the Higher Authority. Just click on the link at the end of our website. Okay, there. I'm done. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Uh, maybe on the resource boards or via email. Maybe, just maybe, we may set up a Google Voice account if you guys want to send in uh, voicemails and questions of your own. Maybe we could tackle those as well. We think that would be kind of fun too. Until next time. See ya.